This program is sponsored by Dave Stahl. Shooter ready. Stand by. Welcome to Gun Owners Radio. We are your Second Amendment community. Interviews, product reviews, politics, trivia. Gun Owners Radio has it all and more. Check us out at gunownersradio.com and tune in every week to hear Dave Stahl, Michael Schwartz, and all our guests talk about everything Second Amendment. Here we go. All right, folks, welcome to Gun Owners Radio, FM 96.1, AM 1170, The Answer. Hey, did you know Americans stop or prevent a violent crime one to three million times per year with a gun? That's right. Studies from the Florida State CDC Crime Prevention Research Center show that guns are used to protect life 25 times more than others when they are used to take a life. That's 25 times, and that estimate's on the low side. If you believe that good people deserve the best tools to defend themselves and their families, then you should be a member of San Diego County Gun Owners. The San Diego County Gun Owners makes it easy to connect with a community that's fighting to defend and restore your Second Amendment rights. Become a member today. It's only 10 bucks. Come on, you can't buy breakfast for 10 bucks. Go to sdcgo.org and slash join to become a member. All right, Mike. How you doing, man? Well, you got my favorite guy in the house. Yeah. And I do. can only say for 23 years, yeah. he's been my boss, and I honestly couldn't say that I had a better boss. Well, there you go. That's awesome. And that's all I'm going to say. And that's Steve Cohen, who is the yep. uh, news director for uh, um, KUSI. And a true journalist. And a true journalist. Now, we're going to talk to Steve. Steve, welcome. Thank you. Uh, we're going to talk to Steve at, uh, for, the next, for the next hour, uh, and uh, we also got a special guest that's going to call in and talk about some cool stuff, thanks to Steve. But we'll, we'll announce all that and get into all of that. And uh, <clears throat> so, Alicia, get your questions ready. Ready. <laughs> it's going to be a really cool show. Uh, so before we, before we get started, though, remember last week we had uh, Jim Miller on, right? Right. And he did a fantastic job. Yep. I just love Jim Miller. Jim is the real deal. He has uh, he's a founding board member for San Diego County Gun Owners. He's an attorney. He uh, he also uh, ran for and won a school board for the Cajon Valley School Board, and he took off. You know, a lot of people run for office, <clears throat> especially in some of these local races, and they just kind of sit there and keep the seat warm. And I, I wasn't even sure, you know, or they'll use it for a, a stepping stone. Uh, but man, Jim just took off. You know, he started like the the security of the school. Um, the, uh, um, uh, you know, all kinds of stuff. When COVID hit, he was relatively new on the board and he led the charge against some of the stupid COVID stuff, right? Well, we had a, a great interview and I invite everybody to go listen, but I wanted to let everybody know that I found out over the weekend that he has an opponent. Someone's running against him, mm. which is ridiculous. It's a guy named Alex Welling. And this guy is trying to pass himself off as a Republican. And, I mean, there's no one more Republican. Of course, we're nonpartisan, but there's no one more Republican than Jim Miller. I mean, <clears throat> Jim's been a part of the party for uh, for basically his entire adult Would life. Swallow a frog. <clears throat> and he, uh, you know, he's done a fantastic job. He's actually the named plaintiff on our Miller case, the assault weapons ban case, the only time in legal American history that uh, – 
that a federal judge has, has ruled an assault weapons ban is unconstitutional. And Jim Miller st- uh, stood up and said, hey, you know what? Uh, that's important. And he's the named plaintiff on that. There's no one more Republican. But here's what I found out about this Alex Welling guy. <clears throat> you remember uh, Mary Salas, mm-hmm. the uh, mayor down in, in Chula Vista? Well, a picture popped up, and I think we're going to show that picture. There's a picture that popped up of Alex Welling, Mr. Conservative uh, Republican guy, at a fundraiser for Mary Salas. Now, Mary is about as far left, you know, about as far left as you can get. Um, And uh, here he was raising money for her, and now he's trying to – of course, she's anti-gun. She's as anti-gun as they as they come, mm-hmm. and this guy Alex, who's come out of nowhere, he's done nothing. He's never been a part of politics. Nobody in politics knows who he is. He's never been a part of the party. I think he's a plant. I think that uh, you know uh, he's running in that district because they know that a Republican will have a better shot. I think he's trying to pass himself off as. Mr. Conservative, mm-hmm. you know, even though the, Jim is the guy, Jim's the one with the with the history, with the track record, with the voting record. Anyway, this guy Alex is a wolf in sheep's clothing. So everybody listening, we're going to do everything we possibly can to get Jim reelected. Period. You know, Jim's not just another guy. Shouldn't Jim's, be hard. No, well, it's it, it'll the only way it'll be hard, Dave, is if we don't do anything. Right. Then it's going to be just about impossible. Um, so this is a big call to action. Jim, like I said, Jim Miller, <clears throat> founding board member for San Diego County Gunners, legit gun guy. I mean, this guy used to go to training with us out in Front Sight. Um, he's a real gun guy. He's, he's, his daughter is uh, a legit competitive shooter. Um, he's, uh, you know, again, the named plaintiff on the Miller. We've got to get him because now we have some, you know, like I said, a wolf in sheep's clothing. Mm-hmm. A guy's claiming to be, you know, whatever. Um, you know, meanwhile, he's raising funds for anti-gun Democrats. We need to make sure that this Alex guy, uh, doesn't get into politics. Forget it. Great. Boom. But anyway, I wanted to bring that up and talk about it. I thought it was important. I think you're absolutely correct. what did you think of the interview with Jim? Oh, I thought Jim was phenomenal. And I think more and more times that he gets out in the general public and people get to know who he is, uh, it should make that, that job a little bit easier because it's interesting how he starts talking. Mm-hmm. And then he goes faster, and he gets ramps up, and ramps. he could hear the enthusiasm in his voice. Terry, he's just rocking. Yeah, it's I mean, pretty he, hard to turn him down. It is, and he's really good in front of public, and uh, he's sincere. He, you can tell he's very sincere, enormously uh, sincere and unafraid, unafraid, not yeah. radical by any stretch. Very level-headed, yeah. um, you know. And you know, one of the things we we're talking about is how this school district has a bigger budget than you know the city of El Cajon and the city of Santee combined. I'm trying to get Brittany to quit the Grossmont <clears throat> School District and go to work in her to his district because yeah. she would be ten times happier than she is in the Grossmont. Oh well, I think so. And he's done a great job. He's done a great job for the students. He's done a great job for the teachers. Um, he's done a great job for the uh, security. We'll, we'll just get him so. on more often. Get behind him, and uh... yeah. And this is it. We're again, we're launching the effort here. We're we're definitely going to spend a lot. of He is a targeted race. Um, we haven't voted to endorse him yet, but I can't fathom that we will endorse the him. Election? Uh, November. November. Okay. Uh, next next year, two Oh, next year, not this yeah. year. Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. Next year, 2024. But let's we got to start right now, especially with this this like I said this uh, this fake. Rhino, whatever, anti-gun yeah. supporting, you know. Yeah. But that's their modus operandi. I think so. Yeah. I think you're right. So, Steve. Is, who is this guy you got Yeah, so Steve, <laughs> the uh, uh, former news director, right, was your title? It was. What does the news director for, for KUSI do? What exactly is your responsibility? 
Well, you're the, you're in, you're in charge of uh, all the content that you see on television over KSI. We did nine and a half hours a day, yeah. seven days a week. So everything that you see is the responsibility of the news director. Who you hire, who the team is, how the team comports itself, what stories you s decide to go after, and most importantly, uh, what is the point of view of the outfit. Um, our point of view at KUSI was uh, the point of view I've always had as a journalist, which is everything needs to be examined. That's our point of view. There's no issue that should not be examined on both sides, up and down, period. Now, when you do that, particularly in our current environment, and you begin to explore things that the mainstream media don't want you to explore, like COVID would be an example, mm -hmm. is masking a good idea? Are vaccines really doing what they want? And you ask that question, well, then you get canceled. Mm -hmm. Then you get taken down. Right. So this is the, where, the way the world is today, that if you go after things that have meaning and you're on the other side of mainstream, they target you, cancel you, and say your certain things. And at KUSI, we were never anything but guys that wanted to explore everything. You wanted answers. And that's what I wanted people to, that's how we, I wanted to kick it off. I really want people to understand just how important your job was. Everything that you saw on KUSI, the reason KUSI is KUSI, is because, uh, you know, Steve was running the place. You know, you, and you, you did a great job. Well, uh, and he watched almost every minute KUSI was on. Yes. How do I know? All you got to do is mess up. <laughs> and there'll be a text to Tommy, tell Dave not to do that or don't say this or tell Holly to put some clothes on. I never got one of those texts. I must, uh, have, been, I must you, have been okay. Yeah, but I'm a little bit more <laughs> aloof, I guess you could say. All right, we're going to take a quick break, but Steve's going to be with us for another... Okay, All right. right, we might even keep him too. He's not doing anything. Let's see what he. I hope so. <laughs> Gun <laughs> Owners <laughs> Radio <laughs> FM ninety six one AM eleven seventy. The answer. All right, that's plenty loud. This is Gun Owners Radio, FM 961 AM 1170. The answer. All right. Hey, if you own a gun in California, you know what? You should have an attorney that specializes in California gun laws on your speed dial. Because if you ever have legal matters that involve firearms, you need California's firearm lawyers, John Dillon. And if you have questions about red flag laws, gun registration, gun transportation, or maybe you just need to know that your guns are California compliant. Our trusted firearms attorney is John Dillon. John specializes in California gun laws. Put his number on your phone right now, 760-642-7150. That's 760-642-7150. All right, we're here with Steve Cohen, who is the he's a journalist, an author, and uh, the uh, uh, former news director for KUSI. And just a fantastic all around guy. He's a guy. gun enthusiast, And too. a huge gun enthusiast. I got to tell you, when uh, you know, we started San Diego County Gun Owners in 2015, mm -hmm. and one of, the, one of the things, one of our initiatives, one of the things I really wanted to accomplish is to get in front of the camera and talk to local news especially um, because they're really, it was one-sided. It was really, truly one-sided, and it was, in a lot of cases, very skewed against the gun owner. Um, so that was a big part of what we tried to do to reach out, and you guys were so so interested. I think is probably, but you were so interested in seeing 
uh, this this side of the story, you know, and, and basically reaching out and saying, yeah, you know what, we do need to explore this. We do need experts. Uh, typically, you know, if something happened and it was involving firearms, something like that, you know, they'd go r- grab some random person off the street uh, who, you know, they said, hey, are you a gun owner? And boom, they'd give some, you know, some thought that wasn't very thought out or whatever. And then the anti-gunners, they'd have like an attorney, you know, or somebody extremely prepared. They'd have a professional giving a professionally uh, crafted uh, statement. And our my first time uh, San Diego County gun owners was on any any news outlet was when we put out a, a, a press release saying, hey, we're here. We exist. And you guys had me on, put me behind the desk and said, all right. Let's talk, and and you've 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 always been uh, uh, interested, but have never. I wouldn't say that you guys, you know, favor us. I mean, you ask me the hard questions, you make me explain myself, and say, "Hey, here's the issue." You know, uh, let's talk about it. And uh, anyway, I very 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 much appreciate it. So I wanted to talk about you. I wanted to talk about well, your, let your me background. See, let me see something about sure. media first. Uh, generally, um, American media. Their point of view is that uh, there's something the matter with gun ownership, that there's something that is not right about an individual uh, owning a weapon and uh, knowing how to use it. They would prefer American media, that no one owns guns. If you watch anybody, CNN, MSNBC, uh, or any local television stations, the chance that you're going to find one, except in some places like Texas and Colorado and Arizona, that I even understand what uh, the Second Amendment is and what gun ownership is all about is small. So you start from a premise that you're operating in is that they don't feel that their viewers care about guns. My viewpoint, he's a kid out of Pennsylvania, so most families had guns, right? Whether it was learning how to deer hunt, which mostly in Pennsylvania where I grew up was mostly hunting, Sure. Right, uh, but there was some target work, but mostly hunting. You got used to weapons. You understood what they were for from a young age, right? And uh, that all changed, you know. And I think it changed because after the war, the guys that came back, they knew what guns were all about. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you grew up in a household like that, you understood it. Uh, but American media went away from that feeling that they had to create a um, a narrative. Uh, that gun ownership was somehow suspect. And when you start from that premise, right, getting guys like yourself or folks that we're here with on television or in any media to speak about it, because the first reaction when anyone gets shot and when there's anything more than one person getting shot is that it's the problem of gun ownership. Yeah, and not anything else. Yep, and, and, it, and, it, and it's the fault of gun owners. You know, we have to explain ourselves right. now. Right, that there's, that there's a sense of, uh, of wrongdoing that some, some moral level is lesser for people who own guns than for people who don't own guns. Therefore, if somebody gets shot, that it's our fault. It's, it's the fault of somebody that owns a gun. Now, overcoming that is difficult. It's particularly difficult when you have leadership, people that get elected, who tell you that every, like our friend in uh, our, the governor of Arizona, yeah. uh, New Mexico, New Mexico rather, yeah. the, governor, uh, the governor of New Mexico, Michelle Graham, you bring her up and she says, well, all the, the, these young kids are getting shot in our neighborhood, therefore must carry has to go away for 36 days. Yeah. Well, guess what? I'm sorry, governor, but that's a violation of the Constitution of the United mm-hmm. States. That's mm-hmm. true. But before we go there, let's, let's, let's back up. Let's talk about, I want to talk about your career. I want people to okay. know 
exactly uh, what a, what a what a what a great journalist there was, and you know, at the helm of KUSI for so many years. So, how did you how did you begin with with journalism? How did you get into the business? <laughs> well, uh, my my first television news job was in 1971, so I've been at it a while. Where were you at then? I was at Jonesboro, Arkansas. <laughs> and, 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 and one of my lifelong friends, uh, his dad was a jeweler and owned a bunch of stations in, in Arkansas. I went to work for his name's Hernreich, Bobby Hernreich. And what did you do at the station? What did Bobby do? No, what did you do at the station? I was a, rep- I was a, I was a reporter and anchor. <laughs> and in those days, he shot 16-millimeter film. Uh, there wasn't anything called tape. We, no. Tape hadn't been invented yet. No, no. And I had a – we couldn't afford cars, so we had a little – Magne, a magne, <laughs> magnetic thing that I put on my car. On your door. That said K-A-I-T, Channel 8. And we covered uh, southeastern uh, uh, Missouri, uh, western Tennessee, and northeastern Arkansas. So we were in the Delta in 1971. I'm a kid with an East Coast accent. Yeah. I'm Jewish, and I'm on the streets of Arkansas, <laughs> slogging through rice and soybean fields, trying to get get the stories uh there were only 12 Jewish families in Jonesboro, Arkansas. They watched out for me to make sure. They, they literally would call my boss on Friday night and say, where's Cohen? It's, it's, service, it's time for services. And, he says, uh-huh. and I would say, hey, I'm out working. Yeah, give me yeah, a break. Give you- but, so I, I, I worked in Jonesboro. We covered uh, everything, uh, segregation, desegregation, tornadoes, racism, hate, you name it. Wow. All of it. And uh, when I was there um, – there were two senators. One was John J. McClellan, who was on the House Judiciary Committee with Bobby Kennedy. The other was uh, Sir uh, Senator Fulbright, you know, Fulbright Scholarship. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So those were the two senators, and a guy named Wilbur Mills was head of the House Ways and Means Committee at the time. So Arkansas was a pretty damn important state. Yeah. I was just really lucky to be there. Winthrop Rockefeller was the governor of the state, and Dale Bumpers re- eventually replaced him. Um, but there was where did you, a, now. Where'd you go from there? What, well, hold what on, but there was one there's other more. thing. One other thing there. And so, so one one afternoon, I'm sitting on a porch. My buddy, my boss, Bobby Hernreich's porch. It's me, a guy named Jim Guy Tucker, who later runs for governor, and then another fellow. His name was Bill. His name was, was Bill Clinton, and he <laughs> and he was work and he was working as a assistant researcher for Senator Fulbright. Mm, so there we are, the four of us sitting on a porch oh in my. Arkansas. What the hell did I know as yeah. a kid about any about any of it? Any but, of those guys. But that but they did pretty well. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. They, well you did they, you they did okay. Career. Here I am talking to you guys. I mean what <laughs> oh, <laughs> you win. I'd say you win. <laughs> I don't know. So can you call Bill up today and who will he talk well, to you? I, I, you know, I have to say that I, I he, through his first presidency, Bobby was on his finance committee and Bill Clinton was a you know a great guy with people. Yeah. Whenever he would come up to you, he'd treat you like you were a long lost. Yeah. Friend. It was a Philadelphia fundraiser with Bobby. You hear that over and over again. And about Clinton him. came yeah. up to me and said, "Steve, going? How you doing, boy? How's it going, man?" <laughs> and, he, and he had a, and he remembered everything. I mean, there, wow. You know, he was about one of the greatest politicians I've ever met, and I met pretty much all of them. So mm-hmm. after that, I go to. Um, do you really want to know this? Yeah, no, right. this run, is, run through. I go to Peoria. I go to Peoria, Illinois. And it's in it's uh, early seventies. There's a guy named Richard Nixon in the White House. Yeah. He has a guy named Bob Haldeman who keeps saying to everybody, "How's it going to play in Peoria?" Guess uh. what? I'm the news director and anchor in Peoria. Oh. So uh, so, so you went from reporter to news anchor. My next job was was anchor and and news director. Wow. I was news director in Peoria, Illinois, 
and it's it's the it's the it's the time of uh, Nixon in the White House. Oh my! Uh, Ronnie Reagan. Uh, you know, his mom lives in Dixon, Illinois. So I got to interview uh, that you know who, who would be President Reagan Reagan's mom in Dixon. Wow! Oh, no, oh, oh Reagan. Okay. Reagan himself in wow. Dixon. What was your impression when you when you're oh, interviewing him? I love him. I was, I was in awe. <laughs> like right off the bat, you were like, "Wow, this guy's something else." I was in love with him. Yeah. Wow. Can, I can I tell you why? I mean, I don't know. Please. So here's why. So. Um, in Dixon, they yeah. said, my, you know, my boss, the general manager, said, "Cohen, you got to go, go do this. Go, go to Dixon. Go so, interview this." So guy. I drive to Dixon, and I'm there with my 16 millimeter camera on a tripod and all that. And you know, I'm talking to Ronald Reagan, and he tells me a story. He says, "I, I want to tell you a story I haven't told in a long time." I said, "What, what Mr. Reagan?" He said, "Well, it's the story of when I was a lifeguard here, because he was a lifeguard on the river down there in, in Dixon uh, as a young man." And he said, I used to sit on this on this bench, and I used to save I save people. And he said, I and you know, Steve, I I saved uh, I think I saved over seventy people because I had a log, and I would notch every time I saved somebody, I put a notch in, in the thing. It's a great story, you know. And, I, and then he told me that story, and then years and then years later, he's the governor, and he's at a. Um, he, it was 77 people he saved, and he's at a, at a pool giving a party for the staff, right? Yeah. L- little girl falls into the pool. This <laughs> is a true story. He counts to 10. Nobody else moves. He jumps in with his clothes, and he saves the girls. No. 78. 78. <laughs> How? Isn't, isn't that? That's, that's amazing. That's an ama- so I had that experience with And Mr. we have it on tape, With Mr. Way. Reagan, and I also had him at the end of his life as well when, when I was in L.A. So, I, so I'm in Peoria. Uh, and then uh, what happens is the uh, Nixon resignation, Watergate happens, and I'm on television. And Av Weston, who's the president of ABC News, right, says, who the hell is that guy, that Cohen kid, <laughs> down there in Peoria? He needs to be in the ABC world. So sure enough, wow. uh, the vice president of news uh, of the station is an ABC guy, a Korean War veteran, Sergeant Bill Fife. He calls me and he says, Cohen, we want you in ABC. I said, well... Uh, Okay, Mr. Five. You know, he, he said, "Drive up. You you get your you get your your butt to Detroit. You get your butt to Detroit. WXYZ TV. And I've got I got a buddy there, a former Army buddy, Bill Nye, and we're going to talk to you because you need to be in charge of all the news there. Wow. WXYZ TV. So I drive up to Detroit. Mr. Nye sees me, and these these are tough guys. I mean, yeah. the, the news directors aren't like me, softies. <laughs> these these were these were rough fellas, you know. <laughs> You know, they would walk around the newsroom. If you had your feet up on the on the news, oh. they, they'd knock your feet off and say, get the hell up there. You got a break coming up? Yeah, yeah. All right. Yeah. Not, oh, don't forget that. This is... This All right. Is, so oh I'm in Detroit now, and Jimmy Hoffa disappears. I'll pick it up right <laughs> after this. Oh, my God. Right here on Gun Owners Radio, FM 96.1. AM 1178. The Answer. Welcome back. You are listening to Gun Owners Radio, FM 96.1 AM 1170. The answer. Hey, if you listen to Gun Owners Radio, you know how I feel about our current government and financial system. So it's no secret. It's a bit, I'm a big believer in diversifying your money with precious metals like gold and silver. But when it comes to buying precious metal, you need the right company in your corner. That's why we're partnering with the top-rated precious metal company, Gold Co., because reputation matters. Gold Co. is six times Inc. 5,000 winner, 2022 
Company of the Year, and they've helped people like you and me to save over $2 billion in gold and silver. And right now, they're offering Gun Owner Radio's supporters up to $10,000 in bonus silver when opening a qualified IRA. This is your opportunity to protect yourself from an out-of-control corrupt government. Don't pass it up. Grab your phone today. Give Gold Co. a call. Take action today so you don't regret it tomorrow. That's Gold Co. 855-612-6354 or 855-612-6354. Tell them you heard it right here on Gun Owners Radio. So we're talking to Steve Cohen. You Right before we went off off for a, a break there, you, you had just left off on what year was it? 1975, July. He July 19. July 1975, Jimmy Hoffa had just disappeared. Right. So I get, so I I literally have an apartment with you know wife one, child one and two, mm-hmm. and uh, I'm within walking distance of a place called the Maccus Red Fox, which is a restaurant. So my my uh, chief political reporter, a guy named Vince Wade, calls me and says, "Cohen, you know we didn't have texts and." Phones right. and all that stuff. Right, right. Had a beeper. A beeper went to, off and said, "Call me." You, you know? had to actually talk to people. Yeah, you had to talk to me. So Vince says, "I'm coming over to your apartment right away." I said, "All right, come on over." He said, "Let's come on. Let's go over to Macus Red Fox. I think Jimmy just disappeared." I said, "Jimmy who?" He said, "Jimmy Hoffa." I said, "All right, let's go." So we go into the Macus and we and we start talking to people. I said, "Was Jimmy here?" So we never saw him. We, you know, we, we we haven't seen him. Chucky O'Brien was here, but but Jimmy, well, Charles Chucky O'Brien was Jimmy Hoffa's sort of second son. He had a re, you know his other son. Uh, Jimmy Hoffa Jr. So sure enough, nobody can find Hoffa. Mm. It's July uh, 25, uh, 1975. In 24 hours, everybody from media from all over the world is in my newsroom, which is WXYZ TV <laughs> in, uh, on 10 Mile Road, and everybody's out looking for Jimmy. Now, the last guy who ever interviewed Jimmy, James Riddle Hoffa, uh, worked for me. His name was Jerry Stanicky. He was called the Newshawk, sort of like a Mike Turco type yeah, of guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hard bitten, tough guy, Stanicky. Stanicky did the Playboy interview. The last play, last live interview with Jimmy Hoffa was done by Jerry. So Jerry said, All right, let me call Mrs. Hoffa. Let's see. Call Jimmy Jr., see what happens. He can't find him. You know, remember, he was in prison. He was let out of prison. And so he was on his own. He's about to run to be president of Teamsters again. There was sure. this guy, Frank Fitzsimmons, who thought that was a bad idea. Mm. And Frank, People say was mobbed up. Yeah. Anyway, they say that, huh? That's what they say. So, <laughs> but I got a, I'm got a Fitzsimmons story. That's why I put his name in there. Okay. So I'm, so we're all looking for Jimmy. Nobody can find him. They, the, the, the DA of Oakland County starts digging up houses. He literally starts digging up the back of ho- of homes oh. on tips that they think Jimmy's buried there. They figure somebody killed him. They buried him there. Sure. Nobody know. Nobody knows for sure. All so, these yards. So who walks into the room? But a guy I had never met, Geraldo Rivera in 1975. <laughs> I'd known Geraldo. He's been my friend since then. Because Geraldo came into the ABC newsroom. He's doing it. He was doing news in New York. Yep. And uh, we struck up a great relationship at, at that point. So that, that period, that six months, everybody's looking for Jimmy. I got a tip that uh, Frank Fitzsimmons and uh, Tony Provenzano and Tony Giacalone, two, two guys, uh, union guys, uh, from from the East Coast, Tony Jack and Tony G, that they were had met with Frank Fitzsimmons at a place called Larco's Italian Restaurant, which is in De, in Detroit, right? So I had it on a pretty reliable source that the three of them were together. So my boss says, "Okay, Cohen, you can you know let the anchors report that." So the anchors go on and report it. 
I'm sitting in my boss at Phil's office after the show. Phil always after the show would open up the drawer, pull out some scotch. <laughs> you know, in those days, you could smoke and drink. I'm not a drinker, but Phil was. Yeah. So they're sitting, he's, he's up to his second scotch. The phone rings, he picks it up, and somebody's screaming at him. He says, uh, you got the wrong guy. I didn't do the story. Cohen did the story, and, and he gives me the phone. <laughs> so there's a guy screaming at me. It happens to be Mr. Fitzsimmons. No. Yeah. It's Frank Fitzsimmons. Yeah. He's, and, he's, and he's giving me hell. Yeah. We're going to sue you. That's the end of ABC. Oh. We're coming after you and your money, whatever you got. You know, that kind of stuff. You know, yeah. that kind of stuff. He, was, he said, I wasn't there. I said, well, we got, you know, people tell us you were there. You know, yeah. you know, were you there or not? He said, I don't want to comment and talk to my lawyer. Oh, that's a dead giveaway. So you, so, you were on to something, it sounds well, like. Well, I think we were on to something. Now, whether he was really there or not, you know, you never, yeah. you never know. So then weeks pass, and I, and I get a call from uh, a guy, sheriff in Arizona. He says, look, I think we may have found Hoffa. I said, why? He said, well, we, we, we dug up, a, we dug up a, a shallow grave in the desert, and we found a hand. I said, okay, well, how do you know it's Jimmy? He said, I don't know. I said, okay, I'm going to call James Jr. So I called Jimmy Jr. I said, Jimmy, they found a hand. Hmm. Uh, it could be your father's. He said, well, okay, tell me this. Does the, the, what hand is it? He says, his left hand. I said, okay. He said, ask the guy, the sheriff, I've got him on the other phone. He says, ask the guy on the ring finger, what's it look like? And he says, uh, it just looks like a regular hand. He says, it's not my father. I said, why isn't it my father? Because my father wore his wedding ring all, his whole life, and underneath that wedding ring, there's a white, there's a white space. That's yeah. It's not my dad. Mm. Wait, but uh, to think of that, think of what that was like to call Jimmy Jr. and say. And I, you called him. Yeah, I said, I think, I think your dad has oh, got that. So, you know, so Detroit has riots. Coleman Young becomes, becomes the first black mayor of Detroit. Henry Ford II builds the Renaissance Center. All that's happened on my watch in Detroit. It's a great place to wow. be. That's a lot yeah. of news. That's a it's, lot of news. That's a lot of news. So I'm just lucky because I'm in a place that's just wild with news. Yeah. So w- doing what I do, which is run newsrooms, you, you know, it's like... And you're in heaven. It's like heaven. Yeah. Right? So I get a call from a guy in, in Boston. RKO still owns television stations. He had just lost a guy and he said, I need, I know, I think you're the guy. You need to come out here and be my news director. So I fly out. It's 1977 into the blizzard of 1977. There's snow everywhere, right? And this guy, he's a little great guy. His name's uh, Mathis, and he says, uh, he's driving me from the airport. By the time I get from the airport to the station, he says, you got the job. Here's the money. It's a lot more than you're making, like way more than you're making. <laughs> By the time I get to the office, you need to tell me yes. <laughs> <laughs> I said, okay, yes, yeah. uh, I'll take the job. I right? got all the money. I'm good. I got the job. So I'm in, I'm in Boston, RKO, Kevin White, desegregation, busing, uh, Governor du, you know, uh, Dukakis. Yeah, Dukakis. Dukakis is, uh, is governor. You're, he- you're, you're like a living Billy Joel song. He- heavy. Like, he- heavy. <laughs> just like just rolling through all the highlights of history. No, no. He- you know, he- heavy snowstorms. Dukakis is, is, yeah. is making his chops. Um, Kevin White's there and uh, – and uh, Ted Kennedy's senator, yeah. you know him. Sure. I've heard of him. I've heard of him. Young, so young, young uh, Kennedy, and the other, uh, the other senator, um, God, why am I going to forget his name now? This is going to kill me. But uh, Ed, first, first African American United States senator since Reconstruction, and so he is, uh, he's the other senator. Uh-huh. Uh, uh, find his name for me. Look, Google <laughs> it up. Okay, she's working on so, it. So, so. 
uh, we do a story on him during the re-election. He's opposed by a guy named Paul Songus. And, uh, and him too, yeah. And, and, and uh, unfortunately, there was finagling in the uh, finance of, uh, of, of the senator. And, and, uh, he, and he lost. But before he lost, he walked into my office. This is a stately, in- incredibly handsome uh, guy. He it just couldn't have been a better U.S. senator. He was the archetype of U.S. senator. But this guy, Jack Cole, who did the story on him, and he came right, walked right, in, right into my office stately African-American gentleman and just and, and sat down on the desk and just looked at me and very quietly said, you have destroyed my career, but it's not my career. Think about what you've destroyed, Mr. Cohen, hmm. and walked out. Oh, hmm. right. And he lost, and he lost to, uh, to Paul, uh, to Paul Songus for now, for re- what for the reporting the why well, was he we, blaming we, we, on we reported that the the, uh, the 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 financial the financial aspect. problems which sure. were which were which which were substantial by the time I, I can say it turned yeah, out to be true by, by the time I got done uh, uh, my time in Boston uh, RKO had sold the station uh, we were lucky we won the first Emmy first Emmy I ever won was 1978 Boston best newscast there had never been an Emmy in Boston up to, up to that time. I still have that. All the others I gave away. So is it what? on that story? <laughs> no, for being best oh, news. Oh, God. So all this, and there's a ton more experience that you could talk about. Yeah. What made you come to KUSI? Why, what was the decision to go well, to that, KUSI? The, the leaps are this. So I, I'm in New York. I go to L.A. with Connie Chung and a whole bunch of other people. Uh, I go back to Philly, my hometown, and run the station for CBS for eight years. I am uh, one of the three people that creates Court TV, the original Court TV. Yeah. I was the founding executive producer. Wow. Of yeah, I think she found it. Yeah, who you got? Edward Brooke. Ed Brooke. Yeah. There you go. Ed Brooke. It was something I didn't know about Ed Brooke at the time, and no one knew until Barbara Walters wrote her memoir. They were having an affair during that time. Barbara Red. Walters and Ed Barbara, Brooke. Barbara Walters and, Brett and, and Ed Brooke were having an affair. Wow. I didn't know. You didn't knew. cover that. No one, no one knew. <laughs> no one knew it. So I, 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 so I, Court TV. I, I helped create Court TV in 1991 and 92, and, and we covered everything from William Kennedy Smith's rape trial in, in Florida to uh, wow. Rodney King. Well, of course, the Rodney King case. Oh cases. yeah, ninety-two uh, or whatever that was. Yeah, and, and Jeffrey Dahmer. So um, I do that, and then in ninety-five, I go to back to L.A. KCOP. I run KCOP for five years. They transfer me to Salt Lake City during the Olympics. You know, the yeah. Winter Olympics, yeah. and we do investigative work on that. And then that station sold. So I'm I'm done. I mean, it's 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 uh, two thousand and two. I got nothing, right? I got a payout. Like it happens. Yeah. But I got yeah. nothing. So I'm in Salt Lake City. I, I loved it. But I went back to L.A. to be with my family. Mm-hmm. And um, I go into the, uh, <laughs> into, the film, into the film business. I had a friend who, who got, whose mother got really sick. He needed me to run his, his talent agency. So I represented Marty Landau and a few other oh. famous people for a while. Yes. Tried to be in the film business, and I sucked at it. I was just like <laughs> the worst. <laughs> I just I had no patience, you know. To, to get a film made, it takes you eight, nine years to raise yeah, the that's, money, that's, get it done. You need it now. So I, I just I'm not I'm a guy on a cycle, you know. Yeah, do it today. Sure. So um, he he comes back and t- and takes back his company. I was acting CEO, and I had no, I went, wasn't doing anything. And a uh, friend uh, of a friend who worked for Mr. McKinnon, who I had met years ago, Mr. McKinnon Senior, when I was in L.A. Uh, said, I think you might be the right guy for Mike. And sure enough, I met with Mike and Mike, and they said, sure, let's give it a shot. Nice. 
So here's what I want to do. The next segment, uh, you got a special guest to call in. So we're going to have you talk about him. We're going to talk about his situation and everything. But you should talk to him. Yeah, I'm going to talk to him. Oh, yeah, and then, uh, but then I want to continue. I wanna, I'm going to talk you into staying on even longer and continue these stories. Have you heard all, of... Only if we still can talk about guns. I want to talk we'll about... We'll get there. We're going to get there. We'll get there. But we're going to take a first... See, folks, when you get Steve Cohen in the house... The whole show goes upside down you heard in a of, positive way. Have you heard way. of seven layers of Kevin Bacon? Or seven yeah. degrees of Kevin? I, I feel like we've got like That's five so layers here. You know what? And we still got, we still got three <laughs> more to go. This is Gun Owners Radio, FM 96.1 AM 1170. The Answer. <laughs> Folks, welcome back to Gun Owners Radio, FM 961, AM 1170. The answer. Hey, if you ever want to learn how to be a pilot, well, guess what? San Diego, can, you can fly almost every single day in San Diego, and it is by far the best place to learn how to fly. Learn to fly with San Diego Flight Training International. You can check out those deals just for gun owners, risk radio listeners. One hour ground school, one hour flight with instructor. Yep, you get to fly. Normally, $400 for listeners, $350. Getting started is super easy. Give them a call at 858-569-1822 or go to SDFTI. But I just call 858-569-1822. So one of the things that we talk about a lot are, are defensive gun uses uh, with, with uh, uh, you know, especially with, with our big victory in, in San Diego. First time in decades, people could get their CCW. And then last year, the, the Bruin decision out of New York uh, reaffirmed everything we've been saying about, about some of the CCW policies here in California. So we talk a lot about defensive gun, and that's the term, a defensive gun use. If you're a law-abiding citizen, use a firearm to, to save your life. It's called a defensive gun use, DGU. And we have a really interesting story that I actually read about. It made national uh, news um, about, what, six, seven years ago, seven, eight years ago, um, uh, about a very interesting situation. And we were talking about what happened in New Mexico. The governor of New Mexico said, hey, you know what? Even if you have a carry permit, no one gets to carry a gun. And she just put this decree out um, as if it's constitutional, as if she has the authority to do that. She does not. But it didn't stop her from doing it. And, Steve, you brought up a friend of yours. His name is Chuck DeCaro. Chuck DeCaro. Um, and uh, he, again, an extremely interesting situation where he was able to save his life and the life of his wife um, while, while traveling. Um, so Chuck, are you there? Yeah, I'm here. How do you hear me? Perfectly. How are you, sir? Oh, I'm fine. Um, thanks Steve for, for taking some of his time and giving it to me, but I got to tell you, Governor Grisham is, I don't know what he's thinking, but, uh, it makes no sense to me that at the height of, uh, uh, criminal gun utilization in New Mexico, she unilaterally decides to take away any protection that any lawful gun owner could have and give you a $5,000 fine for doing it. Yeah, it's it a lunatic situation. It doesn't make any sense at all. It doesn't make any sense logically. It doesn't make any It's not going to help. You know, but most importantly, it, what she's doing is completely and totally against the Constitution. I mean, it's that, it's it's that simple. So, what? Talk about your situation. What what happened when when you were able to defend your your life and the life of your lovely wife? Okay, well, uh, I had to go do a war game in California for the uh, Office of Secretary of Defense, 
And because my wife Lynn and I had a uh, 13-year-old Weimar on her who couldn't fly, we decided to take the great American cross-country road trip. Sure. And we went through Albuquerque because she had gone to high school there. We got there, we went to a friend's house for, for dinner, and we were going to continue on to Route 66, but because the dog was dancing in the back of the car, we decided, well, we need to get a motel now, one that opens to the outside, you can put on your robe and take the dog out mm. at night. Um, so we did, and unfortunately picked the wrong hotel. And um, we got inside. I went in to take a shower. She went out to get some dog food. Uh, when she came back, she bent over to uh, put the key in the lock, open the door, and at that point, uh, a gunman, a gangbanger, came out and shoved her through the open doorway at the exact same moment that I was coming out of the shower, obviously naked, obviously soaking wet, and shivering from the air conditioning. And I see my six-foot red-headed wife flying through the air and crashing on the side of the bed, and this large gangbanger with a pistol pointed at her head. And so I turn and say, what the hell is going on here, taking one step forward and luckily, you know, concealing our um, licensed weapons from his line of sight. And therein began six minutes of, you know, high tension as he rifled through our stuff looking for valuables. My wife saw that I was trying to snap around to grab a pistol, and she was able, you know, to feign um, nervousness and was able to slide a uh, one of the pistols into her purse and then hands me her purse with the gun in it. And if you can imagine a more ludicrous situation, it would be soaking wet, stark naked, holding a Kate Spade purse. <laughs> and about that time, he um, starts to go from my computers, and he sees me tense up, takes a shot at me. I, you know, dropped the purse, engaged with the weapon I had, yelled Ranger at the top of my lungs, and, you know, emptied the magazine. I took three hits. The whole thing was over in about three and a half or four seconds. Um, I got him badly enough that he made it to the door and then dropped dead outside. And um, I had three holes, and uh, I was bleeding so profusely you could hear my blood splattering across the tile floor. Um, had, uh, had that weapons ban been in force, we as relatively high-profile people would have obeyed the law, and we would be dead. We would be most certainly dead. And I would never be able to have this conversation. So if you see a bit of anger in my voice, it's the lunacy of a would-be dictator commandeering the law putting it into her own hands and declaring you cannot carry. And and, and you, you must have been, t the other thing is, you, I mean, you guys are just, you know, totally normal, uh, you know, pillars of society. Your background is uh, military and CIA, and then you worked for, for, I believe, for CNN, right? Well, not that sequence. Let's get that right. Oh, okay. All right. Well, <laughs> give me, a, give, give me, do a better job of, of giving me your background. <laughs> not quite that sequence. No, it's uh, very interesting. Went to school at the Air Force Academy, wound up in the Army in 20th Special Forces Group, got into journalism at the Providence Journal, and then, you know, various local TV stations, including 
I went to see Steve about a job. He didn't give it to me. Maybe that was a better deal than I thought. <laughs> he can he can tell you about the riding around in my orange sports car, you know, with, with the top uh, down and and trying to grab cones in order to avoid traffic. He was, I kind of scared the hell out of him. I think. Anyway, <laughs> and then your and your wife is is a lot of people Lynn know. Lynn Russell, yeah, yeah, it's Lynn Russell from CNN. She was the anchor in yes. in the eighties and nineties. And uh, I, I got to tell you, I'm a I'm a huge fan of 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 Lynn Russell. I grew oh, up sorry, watching hey, Lynn, CNN. Mike and... is a huge fan. <laughs> Thank you. Hi, hi, Mike. What an honor. <laughs> Thank you so much. I'm so good. But but my point is, you guys are salt of the earth, totally normal people traveling through. New Mexico because you had a, a you know a, rather than fly because you had an elderly dog that you had to take care of and here's you know some horrible you know murderous criminal and you were able to level the, the playing field you were able to uh, defend your life and you're alive today because you you, you had a you had a firearm you know and, well, I, yeah. and that story doesn't get told near enough well yeah and especially considering we're both national media. You know, both. You know, we were both CNN yeah. back in the days when CNN did, did news instead of crap. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, we we the reason why we're so upset is because this woman waves her hand. Had we been there, we'd be dead. Yeah. I mean, she has no idea of the implications of what that kind of uh, executive fiat could do to life, liberty uh, of the citizens in her state. And that's why we're we've you know come out of retirement, so to speak, to to complain. This is ludicrous. It is. Well, they're already talking impeachment. I mean, the, the, I mean, the the city is okay. insane. I mean, I think she just stepped on the on the wrong button. Well, I think you know because she's never had, as far as I can see, and, and Steve, I got to pitch this to you. This woman is ripe for an investigative report. She comes from a political family. She apparently never had a job other than one that she's appointed or elected to. She came out of the, the health department in New Mexico, became a, a uh, U.S. representative, and immediately uh, within her two terms was investigated for ethics and was forced to give back monies and objects from a foreign country. And then as governor, there have been several reports of her using government funds for travel for her own personal aggrandizement. In the form of alcohol and fine, not a surprise. Sort of thing. It's not even a you surprise know? anymore. Now, you as a as a journalist, and, and your wife's a journalist, and Steve. I mean, you've spent a whole career. And we got like two more minutes till we have to go to a break. What happened to journalism over the last 10, 15 years that it has taken such a, a bizarre turn, and we're not getting the type of investigative journalism that you just described? Money. The look. There's a similar analog situation in New York City. Uh, in the, at the turn of the, the 19th or the 20th century, there were 26 daily newspapers in New York. But at, at, in their heyday, they ate up the entire advertising budget of the city of New York City. And so you ended up with, with um, um, one newspaper fighting another newspaper on a personal basis until between mergers and acquisitions and going out of business, you wound up with the three and a half that you have today. And I think that the, the analogous situation is here in that everybody's gone onto cable and now onto streaming, okay, and there's only so much ad budget out there. And with that, I think you'll see a consolidation uh, of the various news outlets that are there. What's happened is CNN, uh, our home network, has become uh, a radio talk show with pictures. 
Yeah. Because, you know, you're paying for the physical plant, yeah. and you just do interviews with people. You don't have to go out and do anything. It's all and op-ed. Geez, he yeah. knows how expensive this business is when you got to lug an expensive camera out into the boondock well, and not sure you're going to be able to turn the report that day. Chuck, thank you so much. I want you to know, if you could please tell Lynn, when I talk about the difference between good journalism and bad journalism, Lynn Russell is my example of good journalism. Everything, well, I mean, I didn't... I didn't know where she stood politically because she just reported the news. And I can't thank you enough for coming on and telling your story. And please uh, tell Lynn I said thank you for all that she did uh, professionally. And, and I'm glad you, you guys are, are, are okay. I am honored. Yeah, I'm honored, honored to have you on. Thank, thank you. you so much. All right. Hey, we're going to take a quick break. we got a whole lot more. Steve Cohen is still in the house. We're not going to let him go. This is Gun Owners Radio, FM 961 AM 1178. The Answer. Shooter ready, stand by. Welcome to Gun Owners Radio. We are your Second Amendment community. Interviews, product reviews, politics, trivia. Gun Owners Radio has it all and more. Check us out at gunownersradio.com and tune in every week to hear Dave Stahl, Michael Schwartz, and all our guests talk about everything Second Amendment. Here we go. All right, folks, welcome to Gun Owners Radio, FM 96.1 AM 1170. The answer. See, you can always tell a TV guy versus a radio guy. Why? Because he, he's got this thing all laid out. Yeah. And we're just like popcorn. Yeah. Hey, the fight for the Second Amendment is also happening in Orange County and Inland Empire. Orange County gun owners and Inland Empire gun owners lead the fight. Uh, on the city and county levels to defend and protect your self-defense rights. How do they do it? They do it by fundraising, getting local pro-gun candidates elected. Become a member today. Go to iegunowners.com slash join. Or if you're in Orange County, that's ocgunowners.com slash join. And join the growing number of responsible gun owners stepping up to defend our Second Amendment rights. That's iegunowners.com or ocgunowners.com. That was a cool interview, right? Dude. With with Chuck DeCarl Chuck DeCarl? Just Chuck DeCarl. Yeah. Long that enough. was awesome. And Lynn. It wasn't long enough. No, it really wasn't. It wasn't long enough. So we're so we're talking to, I just I want to jump right back in, Steve. I really want to talk more about uh I want to talk more about journalism. I want to talk more about your career and, and everything. So um you were talking about KUSI and what right. how you got the job in KUSI and, and uh uh you were there for what? 50, 20, 20 years? Twenty years. So twenty years. So so it was really I, I have to say uh all credit due to the McKinnon family, of course, uh, with Mike McKinnon Sr., who uh, owned the station, took the station from nothing, and 40 years ago, over 40 years ago, felt that we needed a local outlet for the kind of journalism that we we did. I, How would you describe the kind of journalism you guys did? That's a. That's. I, a, I think it's just it, it, it's it's local. Mm-hmm. It's ground level. It's eyeball to eyeball. Yeah. We're not better than you are. Yeah. We're here to help you. It's We're, old school. Yeah, we're here to serve you. It's yeah. a serv- it, Mr. McKinnon felt it's about service. That's why you have a television station. You're going to make money, but you're not going to make a lot of money. Right. Believe me. You know, he didn't make a lot of money, but he made some money. He already had some. But his dad, Clint, 
had been, you know, he was the only congressman for San Diego County when there was only one congressman for San Diego yeah. County. <laughs> and before that, he also owned uh, the opposition newspaper to the UT. Uh, so and Th- then, that must have been a while ago. That, that was, must have been decades ago. No, that was that was that was in the beginning, right? But but uh, Mr. McKinnon himself, Mr. <laughs> I'm talking about Mike Senior now, not his dad. I mean, you know, he was part of a group of um, of civic-minded developers, of which he was one, and Herb Klein was sort of the leader of it. Herb mm-hmm. Klein, former press secretary to President Nixon, also publisher of the UT for mm-hmm. many years, and Herb used to have a session of uh, these guys. And they were the movers and shakers. So when you look at um, uh, Mission Bay, mm-hmm. uh, you look at the reclaiming of the gas lamp, you look at uh, the uh, Symphony Hall, uh, the, the, of course, the aircraft carrier that they right. took out of Bremerton and said, we're going to put an aircraft carrier here. Everybody thought they were nuts. <laughs> it's the number one attraction. One of the, it's the number one attraction in America right now. Mm-hmm. It's a bigger attraction in San Diego than our zoo. I mean, the, these fellas had vision. Yeah. Uh, That's awesome. But they didn't do it for them. That's the most important thing about what Mike and KUSI meant to this community. and still does, I think. It's not about us. It's about you. And I I would say that to my team of folks all the time, whenever I had a chance. It's not about – nobody cares what we think. What we care about is what they think. And our job is to take what they think and try to put it into a a format where the people that make these choices – the guys that we all voted for get that these things matter to us. And, and that is the difference between just owning a TV station or a radio station or in a paper and really making a difference and becoming part of the community. When you say KUSI to an Uber driver or somebody on the street, they have a reaction. Yep. There's Every a, time. There, there, there is an emotional connection that over the – and I, you know, I'm not going to take much credit for it, but I was there for 20 years. <laughs> and, and, you know – that's what I wanted. Well, I, I, wanted, I, wanted, I wanted everybody to know we're regular guys. We're regular guys and women. We're not better than you. We are you. The only difference is that we've got a shot at framing what you care about and making this community better. You're going to make it better. We're going to help you tell your story. Well, That's what KUSI was. Well, I can tell you honestly when, when the transition was going on, because, you know, I'm always wearing my car shirts, you know, and I wear yeah. them all day after I'm on, the outpouring – I mean, I didn't get lunches. I didn't get dinners because people would literally come over. What's going on? It's not going to change, is it? It's not going to change, is it? Well, it's they, my so it, no, from what I understand, though, is it's the only uh, uh, it's it's the only it's the last independent station in the nation. One, is that right? One of four. One of four left. Yeah. Or, and talk about that because you're I, not. It's KUSI is not affiliated with ABC, NBC, CBS. Or Fox, right? It's still it's an independent station, but it is now owned by a, a large uh, yeah. uh, group called NextStar. They own 166 stations that do news. They own 200 stations. But but prior last 30 years or whatever, it was it was totally it, independent. Independent. We weren't. We, we had CNN as a source of information, but we weren't. A, we were an affiliate of CNN, but we weren't owned and operated by anybody except the McKinnon broadcast system. Nobody told us system. what to do. Only the McKinnons, right. uh, and they had points of view. And they had <laughs> – yeah. Well, I, I got to tell you, so, you know, when we – I mean, they're – you know, we reach out to stations. It's a part of our plan. We send out press releases. We send out emails. We send out texts and phone calls and say, hey – because we try to craft, you know, a, a story. Like, hey, here's something that, that needs to be talked about and covered or whatever. And uh, I'm on KUSI. You guys respond. You guys have me on – uh, as much as all the other stations combined, they are not interested. Yep. They are not interested 
in uh, unless you know something's you know if it bleeds it leads if there's some kind of horrible tragedy then they basically say okay let's get that guy on that Mike Schwartz guy call him and let's let's have him you know let, let's have him explain why there has to be tragedy in the world I go to them all the time and say hey here's a whole other perspective hey here's something else that's going on. here's something positive that's happening you know and they don't nothing well, nothing look, first, you guys do first it's important to understand that that these are not uh, people who aren't journalists they're not bad people they have they just have um, a different mindset the mindset is that if there's an event that happens uh, let's go after it and discuss it I'm, I'm not going to demean the brotherhood of journalists I think they're great people I think they, they really do work hard at what they do it's just that their their mindset is different than what we had a K, what we have had at KUSI and a few other outlets as well which is let's be exploratory let's look at issues before there's a flashpoint we don't need a flashpoint to make television valuable or radio valuable and i think that's the difference right so if there's a flashpoint like uh, like the uh, Parkland shooting, let's take, right? A big flashpoint. Mm-hmm. Well, then all media gets involved with the Parkland shooting, and then something comes out of it. Here's an example. Out of Parkland came red flag laws, right? right. So well, 21, yeah. 21 states in America right now have red flag laws, including California. But who's looked into what's really happened with those red flag laws? Mm-hmm. And are they being utilized in the way that the people thought they would, which would be to keep people from shooting other people. The answer is that the, uh, the nature of red flag laws is so difficult for judges to figure out of what gets flagged and what doesn't get flagged. And where does, where does a person's right stop? I'll give you an example. So, there's, so a guy uh, is an anti-Semite and he hates Jews, right? And he goes online and he says the most horrible things. Well, unfortunately, to me as a Jew, that's still protected speech. Okay, so he gets to say that. And then maybe he goes across the line and says, I'm going to go kill blank and blank and blank. Now, does that raise the red flag or that is still within the rights, his First Amendment rights? I don't know if I'm a judge. I've got a problem on both sides of that. And that's what's happened. The, the actual use of red flag laws in these 21 states is very, very small. Most of the time it's used for people that are targeted. So if somebody's targeting me and I go to a judge, I'm going to get red flag law. Somebody's got an obvious mental problem, I can get red flag law. Or if somebody's about to commit suicide, red flag. Those are the three things and the only three things that are happening. So the kinds of shootings that Parkland was, sorry, not included. So I think when you're a journalist, you say to yourself, what I just did, go through the process. Let's take a look at that. And well, what you're and, saying and, is people don't want to do that. And unfor- they don't want to do it. And, and unfortunately, part of the reason that red flag logs don't work, um, I, I think they're fundamentally flawed, but we have uh, Mara Elliott who's abusing them. She's absolutely abusing them. You've, you've, and when I've made that case and said, hey, look, she is misusing you know, these were sold as this, and she's doing them as that. And you said, all right, let's have him come on and make his case. But I got to tell you, um, we're still going to ask him some tough questions and make him prove his case. And just giving that format is is such so much, it's so much character, so much credit to you guys. And I, I can't thank you guys enough. It was so wonderful because none of the other stations would do it. I mean, you had to, like, twist their arm, you know? So anyway, let's go to a break, and we're going to continue on with, uh, with Steve Cohen. Yep. Welcome to the Steve Cohen Hour. <laughs> right here on Gun Owners Radio FM 961 AM 1170 The Answer
folks. Welcome back. You're listening to Gun Owners Radio. FM 96.1, AM 1170. The answer. Hey, is there a better tool that empowers a woman to defend against an attacker that's bigger and stronger? Nope. That's why it's so important for women to learn how to defend themselves with the most effective self-defense tool ever invented. For women led by women, the Not Me program is designed to help with training, purchasing a gun, getting a concealed carry permit, and guess what? It's free. Sign up today. Go to notmesd.org. Go to notmesd.org. So we're here with Steve Cohen. Uh, extremely uh, interesting stories. I, I got to tell you, we uh, um, I, it just it's really fascinating. There's so many things we could talk about. But one of the things I wanted to talk about, and I thought it was a huge story, and uh, it, it was a big story for a lot of reasons. It was it, it, it was it was a story that I kind of saw from beginning to end. It was a story I was somewhat involved in, and it was a story that intertwines with, I think, one of the biggest things that's, that's happened in, in generations, and that was COVID. Mm-hmm. I think co- what COVID is up there with 9-11, with World War II, I mean, it's, it, when you talk about how it's affected uh, every aspect of people's life, but what the story I want to talk about is Nathan Fletcher. <laughs> you guys were the only... Uh, shop in town, the only news outlet that would dare question, you know, the honorable, uh, you know, King Nathan. I mean, every, every other journalist in, in, I watched every other journalist just absolutely kiss his feet and you guys were right there going, wait, 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 wait. And, and you didn't attack him. No. You weren't disrespectful. Um, but you know, he is such a sociopath that any time you guys questioned him, he would treat it as if you had attack. Where it was like, wait, 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 no, you, you, you're in a public office. You just have to explain yourself. So I wanted to talk to you. I, I know I didn't even prepare you. I just kind of sprung this well, on you. But what, do you have any thoughts I on? I do. I have, I have, I have, I have thoughts that I think are maybe more generous than than you might think. One, no Nathan Fletcher from the beginning. Yep. Uh, when he decided to uh, come out of the service, which was good service of, to America, and we thank him for that. And then he went into in the political realm and uh, got involved uh, uh, with some, I think, some good legislation that had to do with the protection of young women, you know, um, uh, who were... Uh, Chelsea's Law. Chelsea's Law, uh, with Arnold Schwarzenegger, who was governor at the time. And uh, I think he had a very, uh, very strong, righteous uh, sense. But as often happens to people who get elected... Uh, repeatedly, it can go to your head, and you can you get a larger sense that you know more about everything than the rest of us do, and you can hold to that. Now, I think he was caught up in the zeitgeist of the moment, which was that we had to flatten the curve, that the uh, folks who were running things, particularly Dr. Fauci, uh, were uh, offering a view of that, which, as it turns out, was just absolutely wrong. Probably the greatest, and I think I agree with your analysis, one of the greatest uh, failures of government uh, public health ever, okay? Uh, was, was COVID, the reaction COVID, to COVID. Well, what they did, yeah. what everything, they did, which, yeah. was the, which was to close down everything, go into a, into a mask scenario, wait for a vaccine. Now, of course, locking everything down did do what it said because none of us were able to touch anybody else. So there's no question that the lockdown worked and the and the— and the curve was was flattened, but he and Wilma Wooten were so uh, unable to offer up any sensibility about another point of view that all other points of view were considered 
disinformation. Now, yeah. misinformation is you don't know what you're saying and you're saying something that's wrong. That's misinformation. Disinformation is you know it's wrong and you say it. Mm. We weren't guilty of either. Mm. Okay, We weren't misinformed, nor were we trying to inform people something that was incorrect. But we were damn well certain that we were going to have people on KUSI who would offer alternative points of view in case you wanted to know mm. what the other points of view were. And we were pilloried for this. We were taken down repeatedly on YouTube. We were taken down on Twitter. We were penalized in social media for it. We were called names. That we survived all that is a credit to my people yeah. at KUSI and to the public because the public is not that dumb. Well, you know what? You and, know that, and, I think, and I think Mr. Fletcher felt through that period that he was righteous. And, you know, I, I give him credit for that. But I think that righteousness has its limits, which is if you're really going to be righteous, you have to understand that there's another, that there's another viewpoint. And you've got to at least give it a shot at being able to be said, or, or don't buy it, but at least don't dishonor the people who have the other point of now, view. Now, you said you knew him right when he came out of the service. He was, he, I know he was working for the Republican Party, and he, he, he ran for the assembly pretty quick after, uh, after he got out of the service. How did you come to know him? Well, through that. I mean, through that, through that period. You ran for the assembly? Through that period, yeah, as he, as he decided to become a public, a public figure. And I, and I will say, uh, as clearly as I can, I, I never had a problem with, uh, with that Nathan Fletcher. I thought, he was, I thought he was thoughtful. He was devoted to his own rising star, but that's what it takes to be a politician. But at the same time, uh, I thought he had good policies and a good sense of, about him. Now, he changed parties a number of times. Well, what did you think of that? Because he changed parties, yeah. but he also completely and totally changed policies. Right. Everything he used to think he, was well, 180. I, I, look, I think we all, all of us in the room here, we go through periods uh, of maturity and also uh, a sense of uh, maturation of what our political views are. So th- I w- actually didn't, wasn't so surprised by that. What I was surprised with is where he wound up. Hmm. He ended up basically a, uh, a left, way left of center progressive yeah. and, and aligned with uh, Lorena, who had always been in that. I mean, Lorena Gonzalez didn't change her point of view. She was always someone who was very much aligned with the, Amer- with, uh, the traditional American and labor left, right? And she owned that, and, and, good, for, and good for her. I mean, she's a, she's a significant uh, force and continues to be. And, he, and, and as I think as he began, to, his life changed, uh, he beca- became to own that. Um, you know, I, I and I don't I don't embrace that, but I think that you know he has a right to be where he where he wants to be. If you're transparent about it and you're open-minded enough to say I am not going to de- I'm, I'm not going to vilify the other side for what they believe. I, 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 I think I, that I, vilification that's that's for for me the demarcation point between myself and any politician. Yeah, is uh, at least allow me yeah, my point your of view. Your point of view, sure. Okay. Yeah. I, I think somebody. I think there are books that can be written on Nathan Fletcher. I, I don't. I, I think we've seen the end. I think he's done. I hope. Um, but I really do think it was. A, it was a fascinating from the time he ran for the assembly to the time he, you know, was disgraced and had to leave office. There's a book that needs to be written. He. He. I don't think he had a point of view. I think all he had was ambition. I think he's a textbook sociopath, and whatever needed to be said to advance his ambition, I think that's what he said. I don't think he ever actually had an opinion. You know, he would. You know, and I, you were talking about how Bill Clinton was so good with people. I think he had a lot of that. 
Mm-hmm. Um, he was very charming. Uh, it, it was unbelievable uh, how it was unbelievable how charming he was to men and women. I unbelievable. Think, I, I, I would not character. I, I would not be able to psychologically characterize him. I, it seems to me that. Well, I'm not. That, a, I'm certainly not an expert. You're that right. He, that he that he was a uh, he was a, a dutiful public servant. I mean, he believed that what he was doing was was, was right. I I don't agree with a lot of his policies. But I cannot disagree with his uh, single-mindedness after all of these pursuits, and I think that if someone was going to write a volume about him, it would be, it would it would be very complex. I think I think he's a complex individual. I don't think he's a he has a linear personality. He's a folk a young man from a ver, was a young man from very humble beginnings, a very difficult early early life, um, and he had to overcome all of that to be what he became. So I think that, like most of us, um, we're, we're a mix of qualities, and the admixture sometimes uh, comes out in our favor or it catches up with us. I think for him, unfortunately, uh, it does seem that it caught up with him. Now, what, what, but I, I'm Definitely. not going to comment on the nature of the case against him because I don't really have any expertise at all about what he, of, of what's happened other, other than it, it was a situation where he clearly had to remove himself. Well, we okay. So we have a couple minutes where we got to go to another breaks, and we we touched on COVID. What was what was a? Uh, can you tell us about like a huge moment? You know, a journalism moment. You know, you're sitting there in the middle of this situation. None of us knew it was going to be so big and so so impactful, and none of us knew what was going to happen. Um, what was a, what was a big moment? What was something that stuck out where you're like, oh my gosh, this is. This is huge, or I can't believe this is happening, or this is how we're going to handle this thing. Or. Well, I, I, for me, as a news director, just uh, having an empty newsroom with just a few of us there, putting um, plexiglass shields uh, between the anchors, changing everything that we had in the shop. Um, I'm going to admit, I, it was a fairly scary time. I mean, I, I, I was worried for everybody, I, not knowing anything about the disease. I was worried for myself, my family, but also for my family at, at KUSI, of who would get sick, who wouldn't get sick. We were very fortunate. Uh, was there a tipping? Because I was—I yeah. remember being scared, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. But was there a tipping point? Do you remember a point where it was like it turned from fear to wait a minute? <laughs> well, I, I think I, I, yes, I think when the, the mat, see the, ma- the face mask. Yeah, match. Dave's showing me the, the face mask that everyone had to wear. But I, I matched them to my shirts. But I, I, I get the proof. I think, you know. All that was all that was prudent, uh, but for me it was that when the vaccines came out. I think when the vaccines came out, that was a, that was, there was a deep breath that people thought that everyone took. We I think every, most folks felt well at least there's some way out of this because we I, we all wanted to believe that the vaccines would keep you from getting COVID, keep you from spreading COVID. Of course, none of that's true. Right. Right. We know that. <laughs> we know that now. But at the time, it seemed like okay, let's you know let's let's go out there. And if you want it now, at KOSI, we did not have a vax mandate. We felt that people have a right to make a decision about their own bodies. I, I, re- I got to tell you, I didn't buy it from – I was – very early I thought, okay, let's cooperate for a few weeks. But I remember – I've told the story on the air too. I was at a meeting with a bunch of elected Republicans in East County. I was one of the few not elected people in the room. And uh, I, I stormed when – when I figured out that they weren't going to do a damn thing, they were going to do anything but comply. I stormed out of that meeting, and I basically said, you guys are all going to look back on this, and, and you're going to feel ashamed. At least you should, because there was zero leadership from so many elected officials. But anyway, um, 
Okay, let, let, let's have, let's get out of here and, and, and talk You're more never about this. Get to your list, Steve. That means We're, let's talk about back. it next. You gotta come. No, back. we'll talk about it. We'll absolutely no, talk you about it. You keep no, we won't. Him off. Well, I, I got to tell you, this is one of the most fascinating. We're talking to a, a journalism legend. Hey, in all sincerity, I we could do for twenty years, and I didn't was not smart enough to sit down <laughs> and ask and these talk. questions. I, I, I bet you managing you was the hardest job you ever well, had. That, yeah, he did. He, I mean, Keeping he had Dave a direct line. line. Is not not that easy. Coming with motorcycle guys and bearded wonders and people like oh. they, were, they just came out of prison. Dude, I, mean, I brought <laughs> the Hell's Angels in. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and he did not want me to bring him in. No, he, I mean, really, he brought people. They looked like they just got they just got out of stir. And, and they say, still what, had their. What are you? You know, hello. Are you are you allowed to be out outside of the prison wall? He, 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 he always brought guys like that. Look which at, I love. Check their, really. check their Kept you on your toes. Sir. Yeah, man, they did take like the Hell's Angel guys. I remember that day. So do you really want to put these guys on TV? Man? Hey, not, and I oh, told him, wear your colors. He said, Make sure you he wear said your to me, He said to me, so, it's not the, like the Hell Angels with Marlon Brando. It doesn't like, right. It's not like that anymore. Trust yeah, me, sure. boss. These trust are, me. These are good people. They raise money for kids. Or and that's the what they did, and they raised a the ton. All right, we got to take a quick break. <laughs> right here on Gun Owners Radio, FM 96.1, AM 1170. The Answer. Welcome back to Gun Owners Radio, FM 961 AM 1170. The answer. Hey, a lot of companies waste an enormous amount of money on marketing. The design is excellent. The photos are beautiful. But you know what? The website looks good, too. But it's just not getting your customers. Why? Because you don't have the words that make people buy. But now you can fix that with SafeStreet. SafeStreet can help you find the words and make it easy for your customers to understand what you do and how you buy from you. Stop wasting money today and schedule a call. Getting started is super easy. Visit SageStreet.com. Click on the Schedule an Appointment button. That's SageStreet.com. And click on that Schedule a Call button. So Steve Cohen, uh, legendary uh, journalist and, of course, author and just all-around great guy. And I, I truly appreciate you being on the show. Um, I don't know if, if we told you or not, but this is a, it's a gun show. So let's actually talk. Let's Look, talk about gun. Oh. I, I got I got to get oh, one go ahead. thing. One more one more thing on sure. uh, on uh, COVID. So one of the reasons we all everybody was going in one direction, of course, was Dr. Fauci. Right. right? And so now we look at Dr. Fauci and say, you know, he was probably wrong on a, on a bunch yeah. of stuff, but we all bought into it, right? Right. So when we were doing that, when we, Dr. Fauci was there, because I'm a, his, a historian, I got a degree in history as well. I remember that in 1790-something, 1793, there was a yellow fever ec- epidemic in my hometown of Philadelphia. Philadelphia was the capital of the United States in 1793. George yep. Washington is there with Martha. That's People fact. start falling over dead from yellow fever. It's well, not called yellow fever then. People just turn yellow, and they fa- start falling over dead. Right. So there's a guy who signed the Def- Declaration of Independence. He was the Dr. Fauci of his time. His name was Dr. Benjamin Rush. So Dr. Rush said, I know how to take care of this disease that's killing everybody. Washington says, that's a great idea, but Martha and I are leaving town. <laughs> so, so the president and Hamilton, they get out, they get out, they get out of town because they're not listening to Dr. Rush. Dr. Rush's prescription was this, uh, enemas and purging, right? Hmm. And bloodletting, okay? Hmm. And that's what we're going to do. And Blood, bloodletting is leeches. No, right? no, 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 they, just no, cut they, you act, they actually would cut you open and take blood out of you, drip okay. blood out of you. So those were three things. And then he said, and here's what else I want you guys to do to take care of this. 
take sections of rope, dip them in kerosene, and put them in your pocket. Because the reason this disease exists, it's in the air. It's in, you know, it's in the air. It's in the humor. So people were walking around Philly with uh, pieces of rope dipped in kerosene in their pockets. And at night, they would take gunpowder and pour gunpowder on, on, the, on the street corners and light the gunpowder up because Dr. Benjamin Rush, the fashy, said that's, the, that's what we should do. It'll change the air, right? Now, that's crazy, right? Okay, but everybody is <laughs> doing it. it. Right. Everybody did it. Right. That's why I say he's the, Benjamin Rush wow. was the Dr. Fauci. Now, here's the killer. 100 years later, people changed that philosophy. It took 100 years until a guy who you probably know, his name is Dr. Walter Reed, yeah. is in Panama where they're building the canal. Yeah. And he says, this isn't in the air. It's a mosquito that causes the yellow fever. Mm. We get rid of the mosquitoes, we'll get rid of yellow fever. But the point is that the Fauci of then had a theory that everybody bought into yeah. for almost 100 years. And here we had Dr. Fauci doing the same thing. Oh. So I put that on TV. I <laughs> put that on really? TV. And they all, th- and everybody How did that go like, over? Like, well, for, for my anchor people, they were like. They yeah. loved it. Yeah, they loved it. Because that's, that's an, who knew that? Yeah. You know, so we knew that. Okay. And then you look, and then the folks on the other side, like uh, Wilma Wooten and all those people, they gave me such a hard time over, who are you, Cohen? You're not a doctor to give Dr. Fauci a bad time, Uh, you know? You didn't get an Emmy on that? I didn't get an Emmy. Whatever I whatever I got was uncomfortable. I read you, 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 you <laughs> got that, the, the anima. That anima. Yeah, of anima. <laughs> I, I still remember. It's still out there. There's a clip. The first time uh, a reporter asked Fauci about face masks, oh. he he kind of he kind of recoiled, made a yeah. face, and said, "No, people no. shouldn't be walking around with face masks. Not going to do anything." Five minutes later, it was all about face masks. We all had to double mask at one point and everything. It was it was such a weird time. It was so, but it's that mob mentality that you just described. I don't know if it's that's the correct term, the mob yeah, mentality. I, I, but I think I think there's a psychology or like what we call a zeitgeist. But I don't think that experience is different than the way no. th- the people look at gun owners. That's that's sort of why I brought it up is that there is a mystique yeah. that uh, American culture has developed because of the, uh, the outpouring of the American left that deals with all of us who believe that a gun culture is not a bad culture. Like, I'll give you an example. The, the uh, fellow who is the CEO of Henry Guns, right, which one of my yeah. favorite, one right. of my favorite, yeah. one mm-hmm. of my favorite, right? I, lo- I love Henry Firearms. I love, the, I love lever action. I'm an, out, of, uh, out of New York. Yeah, I'm a lever action nut. Yeah. So, nice. So uh, Imperiali is his name, and, he's still, and, you know, and they still make guns in the United States. And he said, you know, I, don't, I just don't get it. This is a wholesome product. We're doing it with our own guys. We're, it's, it's, it's American engineering. There's fun in it. It's, it's, it's enlightening. Why do we have to be so harsh on what I do for a living? He says, I'm proud of what I do yeah. for a living. And when I talk to as Tony, Tony Imperiali, it's, and I, I don't have a good answer. Do you? Why is it like? Yeah. Is the answer why is it like this? Yeah. I, I think that you hit the nail on the head. Is it? It. I think a couple things happen. I think we, we we shifted from a rural to a suburban and urban society, and so you have far fewer people uh, that have exposure to firearms. And if you have, if they, if you have no exposure to fire, if you didn't grow up around it, then you know you're far more susceptible to this mm-hmm. psychology that you're describing. Yeah. But then the other thing is, I think that. Um, 
the and and the reason you know I started the show talking about how a major initiative of ours was to get in front of cameras and talk to people, and for three decades the the gun lobby said ah we're not gonna the news will never give us a fair shake bunch of liberal whatever. And so all they got for a generation and a half, all they got was, uh, you know, the wrong side of the issue. Um, and then uh, I think that uh, crime changed, the, the, not just uh, the crime levels, but the severity of crime changed. I mean, it, it changed from, uh, you know, you better lock your bike up or someone might take it from you to, uh, you know, you could randomly get murdered. You know, and, and I, I think that that became more and more and more and more common. But, but here's an interesting, an interesting point that comes from, uh, from this, uh, an interview I saw this morning with Michael Bloomberg, you know, the mayor, yeah. former mayor of New York. And uh, he was asked by the interviewer, uh, Mr. Bloomberg, what is it that American cities are missing? He said one of the things they're missing is obviously taking care of people that are unhoused. That's, that's remarkably wrong. There's a, we know there's a, how to get, take care of that. And American cities are afraid of fighting crime, and the people that are getting hurt by crime are exactly the people that need our help, hmm. which are inner city people, and yep. particularly, and he said this, Michael Bloomberg, inner city black youth. He said, why is it that we can't have an honest discussion about what really is the gun control problem, which is not a gun control problem, but it's a cultural problem within a community. Bloomberg said this? That's what he said. That's phenomenal That's that he, he would said. say something like he this. Said, we, have to, we have to get back to fighting crime in our cities and get it to the levels where it was when I was there and Giuliani was there. And until we do that, the cities are not going to be safe. Well, you know, you, you guys have, KUSI had me on a, a, a couple months ago to talk about, you know, the county did this this survey mm-hmm. and they found out in, in you know they found out a bunch of things but the th- three big things i think that they the three what i think were the biggest things they found out in this thing is number 1 in san diego county there aren't a lot of deaths where guns involved i mean this right. this uh, epidemic that they're describing yeah. is is totally bogus right. now one one death where you know by the, but with a firearm is is tragic so i we have to take them all seriously but the epidemic part is not happening. The numbers were much lower than they were trying to imply. But the other two things is, uh, if if you get killed by and in, in a gun's involved, your inner city, um, in, in you're a career criminal, um, or or involved with career criminals, and uh, you're uh, a person of color. You're a male of color. You know, eighteen to like forty, or you're an. Oh, that's that's about thirty uh, percent. Uh, the the seventy percent, you're over sixty, and you're a white male in East County, who's committed suicide. Mm-hmm. That's that's what's going on. Right. So to, to all these solutions that aren't addressing those two things, are are just a political agenda. Well, I think that's right. However, when you look at the countrywide and you look at Chicago, Baltimore, Philadelphia, yeah. you're seeing there that uh, particularly Chicago. That the uh, the use of guns is over is on the weekends with uh, uh, people of the same uh, background yeah. economically as well as racially, and that's the unfortunate part. And I think when you look at a Larry Elder who's run, you know been running yeah. for governor and president, Larry Elder, as an African American, says, "Look, we have got to have a cultural shift where this is just not acceptable. We have to save our young people, and and folks that are shooting other people are recidivists." They're, 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 it's, they're not doing it the first time. 
These are folks that have had run-ins with the law. Now, these are not people that are drug-addled. This is not you know, methamphetamine people. These are folks that have beefs with each other over territory, money, or greed. That can be changed. And I think uh, when you look at uh, street crime, you say let, we have to deal with the smallest number of it. And I think San Diego has done a remarkably good job of that. I really do think that the police chief, and particularly our district attorney, they're not soft on crime. No. They do what they need to do. And we're blessed by being in a community where we have a, a police chiefs that believe in crime fighting and a district attorney that will prosecute people. We are an island, this eighth largest city that we have. And yeah. I think we, sh you know, we should you know, thank God every day that we are. Now, you, you said you're from Pennsylvania. Did you grow up in Philadelphia? I did. Nope, we gotta go to a break here. See, I can talk to you all day, man. That. We got, we need a third right. hour. Have you, I don't know if you've listened to this show before, but we've got have his nephew coming on. Yeah, this kid is an encyclopedia. So you're gonna read the question. Are we gonna have him read it? Yeah. Have you read the question to, to Sam the Gunman all and right. wait till you hear the answer? Okay, I'll, I'll do that, and then I will I will say sayonara. Yes. Well, we all will. We We're all, all will, done because it that shows time. over. That's two hours we just burned through. Right here on Gun Owners Radio, FM 961 AM 1170. The Answer. Folks, welcome back to Gun Owners Radio, FM 961. AM 1170. The answer. All right, folks. Gun prom tickets. Got to get them. The show is next Saturday. But yeah, there's still time. You can get some tickets. You can still get a table. You can bring your friends and family. Nope. We stopped selling tickets on, on Friday. If you didn't get tickets, you're out. Stand uh, outside. <laughs> Maybe I'll bring you in. I, we probably should have edited that. Oh. There were no more tickets for sale. I'm so sorry. I, I think we have about 675 people coming this year. If you didn't get your tickets, oh. you got here's what you got to do. You got to go to San Diego County Gunowners.com. You got to get on our mailing list. You got to become a member, and that way you won't miss it next year. But it wouldn't hurt if you get on, join San Diego County yes. Gunners. It's only $10. And if you want to go big time and become a 10 ringer, with more benefits than you know what to do with. That's right. It's a hundred dollars. It's a hundred dollars a month or a thousand dollars a year. But if you, I got to tell you, if you if you join at the ten dollar a month level, it's the most effective ten months oh, or ten bucks you're going to spend. Can't on even buy breakfast for that. Can't even buy breakfast. All right. Can't even buy a subway, man. What happened to five dollar foot? Who eats subway? I, well, not me. I don't think I can afford it anymore. Like fifteen dollar subway Dude, or nice. foot longs. Tell me. Anyway, anyway, we we drift off into. We've been criticized, Steve, for drifting off into food a lot. So All the time. We I think we, we I think we've gone like two weeks without talking about food. See, but, yeah, you but, know where the best spaghetti in San Diego <laughs> oh. is? By far, no idea. Bar none, sauced and PB. No, oh. no, not anymore. Remember, we found. Well, what do you used well, to? Be? I used to like Denny's spaghetti, and they used to get mad at me, Steve. <laughs> Denny's spaghetti. <laughs> Never had it. I'm well, go into an Italian restaurant and tell them that. It's disappeared. Yeah. Okay, so right. favorite, everyone's favorite segment, Stump My Nephew, Sam the Gunman. We found out years ago, uh, my nephew Sam is extremely good at, at, at gun trivia. So if you email us a question and we use it on the air, we'll give you a hat or a shirt. If you stump my nephew, you're going to get a very cool, special, special prize. I, th I, I think we, I, we still give you today. The special prize will be two tickets to Gun Prom. We can still get you, we can still slide in a couple. We you just can't eat. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll find you. We'll give you some spaghetti. Okay. So uh, <laughs> anyway, without further ado, Sam, how you doing? 
Good. How are you guys? Fantastic, Sam. Thanks for being on the air. As always, we were just bragging about you to our special guest, Steve Cohen, uh, a uh, journalism legend, Steve Cohen. I'm really, really, I don't know if you heard the show, but if you didn't, you and your mom got to go back and listen to the show. Steve has had some extremely interesting stories. It was was just fascinating. He was the uh, uh, news director for KUSI for over 20 years, and he's just a great guy. And everything he said was so, so interesting. I'm so happy to have him. Okay, so Steve, uh, go for it. You're going to read the question for Sam. All right, Sam, this uh, comes to us from John from Santee, and here's what he wants to know. What does the designation of wildcat in a wildcat round mean? Uh, thanks very much, uh, John from Santee, for writing the question in. Uh, what does wildcat mean? And uh, thank you, Steve, for reading the question. Uh, it's an honor, honor to have you on the show. Thank you. Um, wildcat cartridges. Uh, wildcat cartridge refers to a round that has been sort of custom-made. It's not... Um, it doesn't have a spec set in um, either SAMI or CIP, depending on which country um, or, or which group of countries. Um, it's, it's basically you, you get these hobbyists, enthusiasts, hunters sometimes looking for a specific performance profile. And so they will modify their rifles um, and modify cartridges by fire-forming brass to create a cartridge tailored exactly to their desired specifications. So it's, it's literally, it's a homebrew round. And sometimes these do make it into uh, becoming official rounds. Um, you'll, you'll see that happen sometimes. Um, and Sammy is always updating their list of specifications with, with new and exciting wildcat rounds that are slight variations on existing ones. That, I think that's the, is that, let me ask you this. Who's Sammy? S-A-A-M-I, what does SAMI stand for? The Sporting Arms and Ammunition Manufacturers Institute. It is not really a regulatory body because it doesn't have any real power, but it's a standards organization covering the United States um, regarding things like how to measure pressure in firearms and the specifications for all the cartridges. There you go. So, but I think uh, one of the things, correct me if I'm wrong, but one of the things I think that is one of the requirements for it being considered a wildcat round is that they take an existing, uh, you know, uh, manufactured round um, and 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 change it. They neck it down. They change the size of the brass. They do something significant to it. Is that accurate, or can it be from a, a ground up build, and that's considered a wildcat round as well? Um, it's it's generally considered to be a derivative of an existing round uh, created by hobbyists. So, like, um, you know, 308 is not a wildcat round, um, even though it was derived from 300 Savage because it's uh, it was designed for commercial uh, and and to some degree military purposes. Talking 7.62 NATO, which is slightly different, but um, 357 Magnum is actually or was used to be a wildcat cartridge. It started life as 3844, which was a special hot rodded loading of 38 special. Huh. Yeah, of course. Well, we all know that. <laughs> Not me. <laughs> <laughs> was was three hundred blackout? Did that start out live as a wildcat round? It seems to me it did, but I could be wrong there too. Um, I. I'm not sure what you what you would call three hundred blackouts status because it was created by AAC, the company, um, mm, before oh, right. it yeah. went out of business as, and was bought out. 
um, and then was bought out again. So maybe not. Uh, but that, that's another story. By but, the way, um, Steve, he knows he never knows the question. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The, what you read Amazing. was cold as ice. He's never heard it. So let me ask you. So Steve, uh, uh, Sam here is uh, you know my nephew is actually he's also he's he's a, he's a, he's an author he's a writer he's actually mm-hmm. been paid and he's had uh, articles published uh, Leatherneck magazine and uh, of course you know a couple couple other other uh, different um, uh, publications have paid him for his uh, for his craft and he does a really good job he's extremely good uh, at what he does what advice would you have? For a, a guy like him, you know, uh, a, a, a writer, um, what advice would you have in this day and age? What, what should he do? What should he concentrate on? Which, what, what's some good advice for him? Well, I, I think you stay, stay with what you know. I, I think the, the niche that you're in and your, your depth of knowledge is just so extraordinary to me that I think that uh, folks that care about uh, what you do and, and guns and gun ownership and history of guns is a very good category. I mean, it, it seems to me that it's just a matter of getting the word out that you're doing it. And it sounds like you're already doing that in some, like Rifle Mag- Rifleman Magazine and some other, is that we get, you know. I, I, I get all the NRA stuff, so uh, that doesn't have the kind of articles usually that I'm interested in, which is sort of wonkier like this stuff, you know. <laughs> Things like, 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 how do you, what do you, what kind of round are you going to use to take down um, a caribou? You know, I mean, I, I'm sort of, I think that we're all interested in our own little things that are pretty, that, and I think that's it. I think, I, I actually think the deeper and the less general you go, the better off you are. Watch I, this. So what round would you use to take down a caribou? <laughs> Is that a question yeah, for me? That's yeah, that's for you. I don't feel like it would be fair for me to answer that because I don't have firsthand experience hunting caribou. Okay, well, just, right. one might might have been in your backyard and you, you had to take but, him out. But my, but I think that the the advice for somebody like yourself who has so much knowledge is to is to stay stay narrow. I think the broader uh, public is less interested in this sort of information. And when you stay narrow, I mean, you know, things that just people that are already into guns are into. And it gets well, really, and, the, and, I, and think I think that's, that's sellable. why he's writing for the publication. And, and I think that's sellable. I really do. Well, do you, I think that I, I don't know. I, I'm totally, I, I don't, I'm not knowledgeable on this at all. But especially in this day and age, you know, it seems like 50 years ago you'd have to be a little bit more general, kind of a yeah. general practitioner of journalism. But this day and age, you really can drill down in and get wonky about a. a yeah, you know, I, I think that. Uh, they, people use the word silo a lot, uh, which means that people will go into that silo and go deep. So once you get so people into whatever it is that your article's about, they want to go deep on it. They want to know everything that you can find about it. And then they're going to come back for more on that. And then it's just a matter of, you know, well, how many silos of information can you create? You create one that's about uh, um, double-action revolvers. You create another that's, that's about... Uh, uh, old school Smith and Wesson. I mean, what is you know whatever it is that you that you like, and people like I'm, I'm a Smith and Wesson fan. So I, I you know I, anything that has to do with that outfit and what they're doing now or what they used to do, I'm into. You're it. in. I'm into it. In your 50, 50 years of journalism, yeah. uh, journalism, uh, what's the biggest mistake that journalists make? What, what what's or what's the most common or uh, you know what would you you know what would you advise? What talking about seen? today? Where, yeah. You're well, over today. your over your career. Yeah, it, it, it's the same. It's, it's it's simple. It's called the false hypothesis. You start every story starts out with a, a feeling, a hypothesis. I, I think this is happening. If you start with the false hypothesis and then you don't do your work right, you're going to come up with the wrong answer, mm. right? So the key is 
what is your original thinking on this and is it and is it something that is prudent that you can investigate from both sides and come up with the right answer? Because if you start with a hypothesis that's wrong, you're going to turn out wrong. And, and that happens all the time in journalism. It happens all the time in terms of gun stories because they start with the hypothesis that if you own a gun, you're a jerk. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Right. And, and, and then I, I just wanted to, in the, in the last minute, sure. and, and Sam, thank you for, being, for letting me get to know you, man. You're incredible. Um, I just wanted to say something about Heller, which is, sure. as you know, one of the important cases. But, and I think that Scalia gets uh, misunderstood so much in, in that, on that case. You know, he expanded through his great intellect that the Second Amendment really wasn't about militia, right? And by doing that, he pretty much opened the door for everything else that was going to come in terms of gun, of, of gun rights. And somehow he figured that out and to me that's the great mystery of intellect is how someone can take what is basic knowledge and take a leap from that knowledge to a place that's going to help millions of other people anthony scalia did that for all of us who are gun owners wow thank you for being on steve thank really, you really an honor i'm, I'm so glad that I, I got you to come on and uh, he's coming uh, be back. a part of our show nobody gets me for two hours so thank you very much <laughs> yeah not bad huh? i yeah. thought so hey folks subscribe to our show give us a five-star review you can find us on apple Podcasts, google Podcasts, youtube spotify and don't forget to support all our great sponsors san diego county gun owners orange county gun owners inland empire owners the dylan law group city street san diego flight train international and our newest sponsor gold co big shout out to alicia michael schwartz sam the gunman matthew dominguez brendan thomas and Steve Cohen. We couldn't do it without him. Right here on FM 961, AM 1178, The Answer.